Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod. We're back for another week of footy chat and what a week it's been. Once again, there have been some huge results, some close contests. We had our first ever showdown as well. So there's plenty to talk about and we can't wait to crack into it. But before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. And for today's episode, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, and Anna Harrington. So Harrow, plenty to talk about, lots of exciting results, which I will recap now. We started the round with the Hawks beating the Eagles by three for their second win of the season. As I said, we had that first ever showdown and it was the Crows beating Port Adelaide by 60 points at Adelaide Oval in front of 20-odd thousand people, which is just awesome to see. The Giants bounced back. They beat the Blues by 17. It was a close one up in Ballarat. Geelong beat the Western Bulldogs by one. Another close one, we had Collingwood beating St Kilda by two points and the Tigers continuing on their winning streak, defeating the Suns by four. The Lions were big winners over Essendon by 44. The Dees had a sensational last quarter to beat the Dockers by 30. And North were huge winners over the Swans. They beat them by 66. But again, we said it last week, for every kind of blowout result there was this round, there was one that was decided by less than a goal. It's like... Who would have thought there's balance within, you know, the results that we've got? But it was such an exciting round. So, Hara, who impressed you this round? What did you like to see? I like to see uh, Hawthorne making the game-winning move of throwing Jess Duffin forward. Um, Obviously, more known by a lot of people as a defender, but actually started a career forward as such a powerful marking forward, so smart around goals, good on both feet, can kick him from anywhere, and... She really stood tall late against West Coast. Three goals, match-winning performance in the end. Vindication. More of it, we want to see. So, yeah, just stuff and getting thrown forward. You love to see it, to steal our other line. We're, we're just, like, merging the two pods at the moment. And you said she played forward early in her career. How do you know that, Anna Harrington? is isn't about me, Marissa. <laughs> You have to say it now because I've turned oh, up. You no. don't have to watch. We, we just played a little bit, a little bit of local footy together back in the day. But I meant more so in an AFLW career. Um, also played forward and in those exhibition games, one for Melbourne, kick six if I remember correctly. Um, gun player, and I guess there's sometimes a, an element of went back, excelled, did really well, especially early days at North Melbourne, and has just sort of been kept there. And you forget just how good she is as a forward. And it's probably more natural to her as a forward. So just played on instincts, used her strengths, and it paid off. So more of this. It was good magnet moving from Beck Goddard. It's like she knows her footy. Who would have thought? <laughs> um, my, I couldn't go past Chelsea Randall in the showdown this round because it really was. It was such a huge occasion. Obviously, the showdown means so much to the city of Adelaide and Again, the result probably, well, unless you're a diehard Crows fan, I'm sure you absolutely loved it. But for the neutrals, you look at it, you think not fantastic, but, you know, we've spoken repeatedly on this podcast about what a behemoth the Adelaide Crows are in AFLW. Their stats are ridiculous. Their numbers are ridiculous. Their premiership cabinet is very, very full. So not unsurprising that they were such dominant winners over uh, Port Adelaide, but just 
Chelsea Randall's dominance in this game was absolutely unbelievable. Three goals, 27 disposals, um, nine score involvements, seven clearances. The stats sheet just goes on and on and on, and she was a very deserving uh, winner of the first ever showdown medal. She's just unbelievably good, and she's one of those players we're just so lucky that we get to watch her week in and week out. So loved by the community as well. I feel like she's a real... um, your favourite player's favourite player kind of person. Yeah, she's my favourite player. (laughs) She's just so easy to love and so bloody good at what she does. So She's incredible, isn't she, Marissa? She just keeps getting better. You think she's had knee reco. She had the grand final heartbreak of missing through concussion where she was so classy and said that it wasn't really about her. It was about the standard of she obviously got concussion in the prelim final and then had to sit out the grand final because of protocols. Probably, I think, the first player, men's or women's, to have to do that. And actually did a video to club media about, you know, why it was the right call. And then went and won another flag the next year. So all good. Um, but she's all class. She's a great person. I dealt with her when I worked at Melbourne when she was in those exhibition games I mentioned before. And she played forward and then obviously she went to Adelaide and, and played back. And she's just a credit to herself in that club. And I think classy player. You can play her anywhere on the ground, as you said, those stats show. And she excels. And when you think it's no longer that double act with Erin Phillips, she's she's won out as the the main person now at, at Adelaide. It yeah, incredible footballer, incredible person, and incredibly just seems to keep getting better. She really does. It's unbelievable. But I'm glad you mentioned Erin Phillips because I'm pretty sure I saw this friend of the pod, Marnie Vinyl, tweeting about this. It might have been her dad as well. A name for the showdown medal, the Erin Phillips medal, thoughts, feelings, vibes. Just quickly. I think Marnie also made the very valid point that she may end up at some point getting the, the um, I guess, the equivalent of the Brownlow, right? The mm-hmm. Player of the Year award because she's won it a couple of times. She's won a lot of things. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, she'd be a valid contender, right, having played mm-hmm. for both clubs, but we'll see. Yes. I was going to say, just imagine every medal and award named after the Phillips. You just have a collection of Phillips in your trophy cabinet if you're good enough, but... Like I said, there were so many great games that this round pass just had. I think got to talk about Kate Lutkins a little bit back from her ACL after 266 days. It's mind-boggling because ACLs, as we've discussed repeatedly as well, are just so cruel and long and awful. So for her to come back, for the team to get around her and for her to experience a win is so exciting um, for Kate Lutkins. isn't it? That's a pretty quick ACL turnaround. It's a bit under nine months. Um, We were talking yesterday from a soccer perspective at Kaya Simon, who faces basically a nine-month uphill battle, to be honest, to be fit and prove that she can, you know, do something at the World Cup. There you go. There's a that's the blueprint. Who's done it? Yeah, it's It's pretty incredible. Nine months. When you think how often it's the it's a twelve-month minimum. Yeah, it's out of control, to be honest, but in the best possible way. So we hope that she stays healthy and is able to play out the rest of the season. The way Brisbane uh, Brisbane are going, there there looks to be a lot more season left for them just based on where they're sitting on the ladder, which is a great way to chat about the ladder. Because of where we're at in the season, the question has kind of come up and you'll be able to read some more answers about this question over on ESPN.com.au. But basically the question is, is the top eight set? Because even though 
this league can throw up some real chaotic kamikaze kind of results and stuff, things do seem to have settled in the top half. So I pose you the question, Anna, is the top eight set as it stands? Very excited to rile up a few teams sitting on the periphery and maybe prompt a four-game winning streak. Um, But it's got to be pretty close to it, right? Like not necessarily the positions, but the top eight itself. Um, I was looking at the ladder and just for a recap for those listening in who don't have it in front of them, you might be driving. Brisbane, Adelaide, Melbourne, Collingwood, top four. North Melbourne. So all those top four are on 20. It's really close. Um, bar Brisbane and Adelaide's ridiculous percentages. Then um, North Melbourne, Geelong, Western Bulldogs and Richmond all on 16. And then where I cut it off probably, and there's a lot of teams on eight, but you've got Gold Coast on 12 sitting in ninth, Essendon in 10th on eight points and St Kilda in 11th on eight points. And I'm probably cutting it off after St Kilda just from a percentage point of view. St Kilda are 95.7, Essendon are 109.7. Gold Coast above them on 80.8, which might hurt them when push comes to shove, even if they win a couple of games. But I think after that, your percentages, the teams below St Kilda are sort of hovering around that below 70% mark. So you're like, it's going to be pretty difficult. So that's probably where I'm cutting it off. Anyway, I digress. You have to think it's it's pretty close to it. It's, it's going to be precarious. There's still four rounds to go. Like we're nowhere near sort of settled, but you really just have to keep winning. Um, that's what I what I liked about what both Geelong and Richmond were able to do on the weekend was they had challenges. Um, and Geelong's was really impressive because the dogs have been in such good form. They won that by a point. And then Richmond beating the Suns, who are obviously right in the, as I mentioned, in the thick of things for finals, but by four points. Both of them found a way to get it done in tough games and Geelong have done that a few times this season. We saw Richmond do it against Essendon as well. That That's what I, I like to see. And they're going to have to do it again next week, aren't they? So like you look at these games, um, Richmond will play West Coast in Perth. That has to be a win. Like, you know, if so, buts about it. I know it's difficult traveling, but you got to win that. And then you look at Geelong and look at these two teams because they've never played finals before, right? Geelong will go over and play Essendon in Warrnambool and, for them, if they want to play finals, you've got to win that as well. So it's going to be tough. I I mean, I don't think it's fully settled, Marissa. I think it's pretty close to it, but there's still a lot of movement that can happen. But based on what we've seen so far, I think the eight's pretty accurate bar some, some movement. I think North Melbourne are probably underselling themselves a bit by being in fifth. You look at their percentage, especially like they smash teams and then the losses they've had, they probably should have beaten Melbourne. They probably look at their game against Adelaide and think we should have won that. Um, so... I think they're a legitimate top four contender as well because when they're up and about and their midfield's going with Jazzy Garner and Ash Riddell especially, and um, you, you just look at them and you go, this this team can really take it up to most teams, to be honest. So I think there's still a bit of openness there in terms of the, the top four. Collingwood are probably the ones that maybe are most in danger of dropping out, and that's easy to say because they're fourth. But, um, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it's not locked in, but I think this is not too far off the finished product of the eight, if that makes sense. So where do you see it? I I feel very similarly, similarly in the sense that I don't really see much movement, those top three positions, maybe amongst themselves, but that I'm very comfortable those three teams are playing finals. Obviously, Collingwood North, my 
movement within the top eight comes in that seventh, eighth and ninth position. I'm cutting it off at ninth just based on points because every everyone under the Suns needs to win more games to make up more points. So my focus is literally on the Dogs, Richmond and Suns, who are currently seventh, eighth and ninth, respectively. And looking at their runs home, they've each got a game that I suppose presents a bigger challenge than the others. So the Dogs have to play Melbourne, Richmond have to play North in the final game of the season and the Suns have to play Melbourne as well. But then their other games are all very, very winnable based on the way that these teams are going and based on the way that their opponents are going. I think they've all got to play Carlton. You'd imagine the way Carlton's going at the moment, they should be wins realistically for all three of these sides. Then you've got, you know, a couple of teams playing GWS, a couple of teams playing West Coast, um, St Kilda and Sydney as well. So you would imagine that barring those single tests in their run homes, each of these teams should be winning three three out of four of their final games. So it's about who can hold their nerve. It's about who can grind it out. And I suppose um, the positive for Richmond is now that they've shown repeatedly that they can kind of get that close win. They can hold on. They did it against Brisbane. That would fill them with a lot of confidence, I feel like. The Dogs, I don't know if they maybe feel a little bit shaky after losing to North and now the really close loss to Geelong, but their early season form was good enough. So you would think that they can refine that and re-kind of, I suppose, uh, make a statement once again, heading into the back end of the season and hopefully into finals for them. The Suns, they've got Sydney, so that should be easy, respectfully, easy win for them. It's more about waiting to see if either the Dogs or Richmond blink and that they can capitalise on that. So I agree with you that I think the eight teams are set. Movement within the eight might be a little bit different and it's going to take something really special from the Suns potentially to force their way in or a a monumental um, collapse from someone in the kind of lower half of the eight to make room for someone to go on a ridiculous... Um, winning streak to sort of end this season. You touched on North, so I wanted to go back to that just briefly and give you a bit of time to look at their run home. You said that they should, or they've definitely played well enough to be in that top four conversation. Is the four set? Like, I know you said Collingwood probably easiest to potentially slip out, but based on North's run home, maybe based on Collingwood's run home, can you see their positions changing? Can you see any of like Melbourne, Adelaide or Brisbane dropping out of the four or is the the double chance basically locked in stone for these teams? Brisbane probably have the toughest run home that they play North, Adelaide and Collingwood, um, but they're a very good team. So you back them to win at least two, if not three or even four of those games. Like they're, they're the standout team really right now by that, that upset they copped um, against Richmond. But... Yeah, you look at you look at the different runs home. Melbourne's is pretty straightforward. Adelaide has a little bit of difficulty there, but they should be good enough to win at least three or four. The others are Frio, Geelong, and St Kilda. They've got Brisbane away. That would probably be one that at this stage you'd notch down as maybe a loss. Melbourne, if they play to their potential, would be looking at four from four. Bulldogs, Gold Coast, Essendon, West Coast shouldn't be in danger of dropping out of the four. And Collingwood, it's Collingwood and North. It, may well effectively come down to how they go against each other because 
Collingwood play GWS, Frio, North and Brisbane. Pretty ominous end to the season, those last two. Whereas North have got Brisbane, so they get the, the really hard one first. Um, Port, Collingwood and Richmond. So it's really both how they go against Brisbane and how they go against each other could well be enough to determine, you know, who slips out there. So I w- wouldn't be surprised to see, um, and Richmond obviously no pushover either. They've got um, in their last game of the season, albeit at Arden Street. Yeah, I think that's where the flexibility is in the ladder. It's who steps up in the final month out of Collingwood and North. And Collingwood, to their credit, just find a way to keep on winning. They've kind of, you know, where North have maybe let a few slip, but they'd be quite disappointed with. Collingwood had generally been pretty good at, yeah, getting getting the close ones done. Steph Kiyotu's 50th game this week as well. So they'll have plenty of, um, of I guess, motivation to, you know, start on that winning run against... Um, GWS, so they should be able to account for anyway at home. But, yeah, I think it comes down to those two top four. I would agree with that. And also I was just having a little look at, I suppose, the top four against each other. Um, And obviously they don't all play each other because we have 10 rounds for an 18-team competition, but we're not getting into that conversation at the moment. But Collingwood will have played won't have played everyone else in the top four. They've only played Adelaide so far and they lost to them by five in round four. And then obviously they've got that game against Brisbane in round 10. But the other top four sides, they've kind of beaten one, lost against the other. So it does seem very, obviously it's tied at the top. They've all got similar records, similar points. Um, Brisbane's percentage is obviously very, very good, which is why they're really shining up the top. But within the top four itself, it does seem very even. And we've kind of said throughout the season that the top three does seem to be kind of Brisbane, Melbourne, Adelaide. But Collingwood is hanging around up there, but they have only played one other top four side and they will have that um, game against Brisbane in round 10. So I feel I feel very confident about the top three, but I've kind of felt confident about the top three um, since the start of the season, truthfully, it really does come down to the Pies and North Melbourne. So we will obviously watch that very, very closely as the season comes to its conclusion for this final month of home and away action, well, home and away action, of regular season action. Um, but let's look ahead, I suppose, then to round seven and see what's coming up, what we like the look of, what fixtures are you going to be watching extra carefully here, Anna? I mean, after talking up North Melbourne, I've got to say that North Melbourne-Brisbane game at Arden Street, no better way to test your medal, right, than a home game against the, the team top of the table. Everything's on the line in terms of the top four spot. So that one really excites me. In terms of teams, I'm, I sort of alluded to it before. The other one is it's over in Warrnambool, uh, a country game. Essendon versus Geelong. It's not a Prasparkas Cup because Georgie Prasparkas is still suspended um, for that dangerous tackle. But this is a game that Geelong, as I said before, have to win. Essendon have been a really good challenger against established teams this year. Like They pushed Richmond, um, fell short against Carlton. They're the, probably the standout ones. But if, you, if you're Geelong, this is the game you've got to win. Like a team that's going to give you a bit of a nudge, going to really challenge you, especially in the midfield, but you just have to find a way because, you know, your final spot's on the line. So those are the two that really excite me. But Marissa, I know you're more of a traditionalist. You have got your eye on another game. 
I do. I I simply can't go past the D's and dogs. We we talk about, you know, I suppose history and rivalry in the women's game. You can't really go past the D's and the dogs. So always look forward to that one. And obviously it's a, a game they both want to win for the history, for the rival rivalry, but for their own kind of finals um stories as well. So always an exciting one to watch. So we'll definitely be watching that. I've highlighted another one. I don't know how good of a contest it's going to be, but I think it's one that we definitely need to keep our eyes on. Blues v Saints. So St Kilda was starting very hot. Everyone was like after the first couple of rounds, hello, St Kilda, how are you doing? They've now lost their next four games. Um, And the Blues, I think everyone kind of had their question marks over them pre-season. And the season has seemingly just gotten worse and worse for them. They've been absolutely slammed by injuries. So there is, you know, a a level of excuse that can be made because injuries happen and sometimes it's hard to work around them. But they're also on a four-game winless streak. They did have those two draws in there, but they've only won one game so far this season. They're also really in desperate need of a win. So I don't know. Which team is going to stop the rot here? I don't know if we're going to have yet another draw. I wouldn't put it past Carlton the way they're going. But, um, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be a great contest, but I think it's going to be a very interesting storyline. So we'll be keeping my eyes on that one as well. So, yes, obviously we will be watching round seven with a lot of intrigue, a lot of interest. One thing that I know we'll absolutely love to see is West Coast running out in their pride jersey Obviously, if you listened to us last season, you'll know that there was the whole situation with West Coast not having a pride jumper. They only had a training singlet and there was some, it was a whole thing. So really nice to see that they've, you know, listened to the players, they've been consulted with the design and they'll be running out in that jumper. We've seen North release their jumper as well. So it's one that we'll be keeping an eye on for all the uh, fashionistas amongst the AFLW community. It's going to be fun times ahead, but obviously we can't wait for the next round. You can always find Sarah's AFLW stuff over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. So make sure you go check them out. Remember to put your tips in. I was a little bit forgetful again, so I'm hoping to remind everyone to put your tips in over on the ESPN Footy Tips app. But otherwise, we will catch you all and chat about round seven very soon. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.